Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Life Boost here. My name is Ryan Barrio, and I would like to thank you all for watching and listening to my content. Today, I'm speaking with Lieutenant Colonel David Grossman. David Grossman is an American author and trainer who conducts seminars on the psychology of lethal force. He is a retired lieutenant colonel in the United States Army. He's the author of four books, two children's books, and six non-fictional books, including his book called On Killing, with over half a million copies sold, and New York Times bestselling book co-authored with Glenn Beck. Dave is also a former U.S. Army Ranger, paratrooper, and West Point psychology professor. He has a black belt in hojitsu, which is a martial art of the firearm, and has been inducted into the USA Martial Arts Hall of Fame for this. Colonel Grossman's research was mentioned by the President of the United States in a national address and also has testified before the U.S. Senate, the U.S. Congress, and much more. He has served as an expert witness and consultant in state and federal courts. This man has helped train mental health professionals after several school shootings that occurred in the United States. He has been involved with assisting in the Johnsboro School Massacre and has been involved in counseling or court cases in the aftermath of Paducah, Springfield, Littleton, and Nickel Mines Amish School Massacres. Since his retirement from the U.S. Army in 1998, he has been on the road almost 300 days a year for over 19 years as one of our nation's leading trainers for military, law enforcement, mental health providers, and school safety organizations. It is a pleasure to be introducing David Grossman onto my show. Welcome. Hey, thanks, Ryan. I don't know who that guy is you're talking about. He needs to go get a life. Uh, yeah. yeah, he, he hey, sounds hey. like uh, sounds like a true hero. <laughs> I don't know about that. It's been a good ride. It's been a lot of fun. I'm honored to be on board with you. You know, something I always try to say up front with these podcasts, um, when I was a kid, we had uh, we had three networks, and uh, and uh, and one or two newspapers in every city, and and uh, and maybe you know six national magazines. And if you didn't get on them, there was no way your voice would ever be heard. Today, I, the podcast revolution has completely exploded. That the logjam that that the media has. This is an era of, of citizen journalism like nothing we've ever seen before. And and a hundred years from now. People will, will tune back into this and listen to this. And the same way we, we read a 100-year-old book today. So, so I honor you for taking the time and the energy to put this together. And most of all, I honor your listeners. You know, I've been on 60 Minutes in 2020 and BBC and CBC. And, you know, they're, they're never more than a, a four-minute soundbite. You have no control over what's coming over there. Uh, it, people listening to podcasts are seeking a deeper level of knowledge. And, and it's a knowledge revolution, it's information revolution, it's citizen journalism. And I honor you and I honor your listeners for making all this possible. And I'm, I'm tickled to be part of that process and, uh, and, and eager to be of service on, but, uh, with, with the, the great uh, kind of the, the little ministry that you have, a wellness and life boost to, uh, to your listeners. Thank you so much for implementing your thoughts about this. And by you even coming onto my show is an honor and a privilege. And it's, it's going to be great to dig into a lot of insight and knowledge about yourself and really try to help people within overall health. Right. And I think that's the biggest goal. And it's a really is a pleasure to have you. And thank you for sharing that. What does your daily routine look like as an author and trainer? Well, you don't run, uh, I, I don't have a, a very specific routine. Uh, one of the the only thing that I'm I'm just absolutely religious about is is my sleep management. You know, I'm 65 years old. I'm still in, in real good shape, really in the prime of my health, and uh, 
I've got two dogs. I, I take them out for a good long walk once a day, try to fit that in somewhere. And we, we go at a pretty good pace. But other than that, you know, there, there's not a whole lot. I, um, I fast two days a week. So I, it's, it's kind of a, a 32 hour fast, you know, from, uh, uh, all day Tuesday. So from Monday night until Wednesday morning, I, uh, I, I have nothing but, but, uh, fluids, no sugar, no anything else. And I, I think there's an awful lot of data on how good fasting is for us. Our bodies are meant for feast or famine. And, uh, and so it also helps a lot with keeping the weight down. And, uh, and that's so important. As you get older, it just gets harder and harder. So, uh, really that's like a 32 hour fast, you know, it's 24 hours plus a sleep cycle. So two sleep cycles and one day cycle, but, uh, you know, I'll go to bed, uh, uh, Monday night, knowing that the next day I'll have nothing. And then, and then Wednesday morning, I'll, I'll break my fast and usually have a good breakfast or something. And then the same thing on Friday. Uh, my wife and I throughout the pandemic kind of put us on a, a feeding schedule where all of our eating happens within a six hour window. And that's really helped a lot too. Um, we don't, for us at 1300, one o'clock is when we really break our fast on a daily basis. And then uh, about seven, we, we wrap everything up. So all of the eating we try to do is in a six-hour window. We, we actually have just a little bit of a treat later in the night for ourselves, but uh, we found that to work well. And, and again, the body's really made for this kind of feast of famine type thing, work out well. I, I do an awful lot of supplements uh, to try to sustain it. Uh, and uh, uh, one that I started recently, just do an online search for COVID and, and lactoferrin. There have been a couple of major studies showing how good lactoferrin has done. Just recent good, solid studies. Uh, my daily routine, one is uh, my favorite website is sciencedaily.com. I check it every day through almost every category. So, uh, you know, and, and then, I, you know, I check the news quickly and then do my email. And then, uh, you know, time that's left over, I, I try to do a little writing on a daily basis. And uh, uh, so that's, that's kind of, that's kind of what the day looks like. And one of the things we could really spend more time on in a few minutes, I think, is, is, uh, is uh, the sleep dynamic. Uh, it's, it's really a major area where as a civilization, we're being blindsided. And there's so much we can do in that field and so much I think we can give your listeners in that field. Yeah, and it's going to be really interesting to really engage on that topic and to really identify what some of the key core issues that is related in regards to sleep and trying to find a solution towards that problem, right? And it's great that you're applying fasting in your your daily lifestyle also because when you're fasting, you're allowing that time in your digestive system to actually take everything out of your system, but also... Um, you're, you're also preventing a lot of other nutritional issues, right? Such as gout, such as high blood pressure, diabetes, always affecting the pancreas, right? So it's amazing that you were able to identify that and say, Hey, you know, for two days out of the week, I'm not going to be eating, right? I'm not going to be doing any of that. I'm going to focus on my body and other aspects. And that's incredible. Right. So, yeah. And we're going to be diving deep into about sleep also and having a great understanding of that. What made you want to start training law enforcement and mental health providers? Well, you know, uh, uh, I was in the Army from 74 to 98. And about 94, my book on killing came out. I was a, uh, a West Point psych professor. And, uh, and uh, it, was, uh, it was a great gig. It's just one of those little in their military career, they'll send you to grad school for two years and then three years as a professor and then off to other jobs. And, uh, and it was just wonderful. It was so cool. And, and uh, but, uh, uh, I, I had my book on killing out 
and which is you kindly said up front. It, it came out while I was at West Point, which is a big deal. You know, it, it, we're, we're academia and publishing is good and a book is good. And the book has really been amazing. And uh, I studied the psychology of killing. And uh, and then uh, I, I got out in 98 and a lot of law enforcement agencies were calling me in to train them. A lot of military called me in to train them. They were, the book had taken off, it's translated into seven languages, half a million copies sold in English, you know. But as I started working with this community, and prior to the war, prior to 9-11, the only ones that were in real combat every day were law enforcement. And uh, I, I do a lot with corrections. You know, I always try to take a minute. I know you are, and I, some of your listeners may be from that corrections community. Uh, they don't ever really get the respect they deserve. I always, in every law enforcement audience, you know, how many all were, you know, corrections, probation, parole, jail, you know, I, I say, I honor you. I, I publicly honor you. And you hear that a lot more often. You, you look in the eyes of scary people every day. You know the world's a better place because they're behind bars. And we thank you for what you do. So, you know, I'm, I'm working with that community, the feds, really, and, and, and the law enforcement. And I began to study what I, I thought what was at the core of combat was killing. And I wrote the book, and, uh, and it, Google Scholar says it's been cited over 3,000 times in scholarly works. It's, you know, it, it's, it's really one of the great, you know, kind of scholarly works of our time. But I realized that for those who fully prepare themselves, you know, the Vietnam vets I, I interviewed were 18. The, the World War II vets I interviewed were 18 when they had to kill. But for a mature individual who's prepared themselves for a lifetime, you know, it, 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 it seems to trouble some kind of people. But for those who have prepared themselves, killing is just not that big a deal. Uh, you know, people want them to be destroyed by it. Well, they're not. You know, the people who came back from World War II were not destroyed by what they had to do. Uh, what I began to realize is what was at the core of combat was all the stuff I put in a book called On Combat which is uh, also, it's got a third of the main copies sold worldwide and uh, translated to five languages. And, and we found about auditory exclusion, slow motion time and tunnel vision. Hunters know that when they shoot a deer, they don't hear the shot. Uh, but, but the same thing happens in combat. How could we have had 700 years of gunpowder combat and not let people know the shots get quiet? You know? So the focal point of all of my stuff has revolved around protecting. You know, I, I wrap up every presentation with, with the big love up there, you know, with my double markers, and a, I, I do a real dynamic presentation. Uh, I, I find from the Canadian standpoint that the, 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 one of the highest honors our Native American or host nation Aboriginal can grant is, is called a blanket ceremony. I've received that blanket ceremony twice, once from uh, law enforcement in uh, in the uh, in Tennessee, the the, the chief, uh, as I presented to the tribal police, presented it to me. And then again, the, the red one there is the uh, is the uh, uh, British Columbia Aboriginal Policing Service, and they again presented me with a blanket ceremony. And uh, and it's really a beautiful ceremony. They they drape it over you, they fold it over you, and it, and it represents their desire for your protection, their desire for your wellness and. Uh, and, and, and that's the whole goal for me is resiliency and wellness and the armor, you know, and, and the sword. They'll, they'll still represent instruments of protection. 
they, they, they really stand there to, to take the individual. My goal becomes resiliency. And, and, uh, and this law enforcement world is, is a very interesting world that it, they're, they get the asset test every day. If you teach something stupid and people get killed, <laughs> they stop doing that. If you teach something that works, they embrace it. So here I've been now. It's been 24 years since I retired. I've been on the road over 200 days a year with the extract of that pandemic. And, and because they're the ones that called me, uh, I, I didn't choose that field. They chose me. I, I wrote the book about what I thought was at the heart of combat. Then I wrote the second book. And, uh, I, I had the honor to train almost all of the Canadian regiments that rotated in and out of Afghanistan. Early in the war, Afghanistan was Canada's first shooting war since Korea. Uh, they really wanted to do it right. And the first regiment that uh, deployed to Iraq or to Afghanistan, they, they did everything they could do. They just everything they could think of, including bringing me to brief them. And then they brought them back and said, all right, lads, you know what worked? They said, Grossman, he told us what was going to happen. He told us what to do about it. Uh, of all the things that were done, you know, I, I, I'm so humbled and honored. They said, Grossman, and really that same cycle happened over and over again with Canadian regiments going in the war, what, what were Grossman? He told us what was going to happen. And for all of you that are interested in that, it's all in my book on combat. Uh, I, I literally wrote the book for my son on his first combat tour, the invasion of Afghanistan. And uh, and it's, it, the early draft was for my son, who now has nine combat tours. Uh, and it's the things, I, the nuts and bolts, I want somebody to understand about what's it being combat. So it's been a, it's been a funny world. And they chose me. And and I've never once advertised. I, I just you know I'm I'm going and they they bring me out and they said this stuff works. I need them in my unit and my outfit. And, and it's a funny thing, law enforcement in America is completely decentralized. Nobody else in the world I think does anything like this. Uh, um, the sheriff, there are three thousand sheriffs in America, and they only answer to the local voters once every four years. There's no other way to get rid of the sheriff. You know, he, he, he's, a, he's a force of nature. And then we have over 12,000 police chiefs only answer to the mayor, you know, once every four years. And so people don't understand. We have, you know, people talk about America being 50 laboratories for democracy. You know, and in the pandemic, we saw what Florida did and what California did. We saw what, what Texas did and what New York did. Okay, what worked? You know, 50 laboratories for democracy. Well, in law enforcement, we're 15,000 laboratories for democracy, not counting all the foreign nations I've worked in, including Canada many, many times. And and within that 15,000 laboratories for democracy, you know, it, it, they keep bringing me back. And my books, you know, one book came out in 95, and it's Amazon's number one bestseller in a couple of categories just last week. Uh, the other book came out in 2004, and it was Amazon's number one bestseller in several categories this year. Uh, and, and it's just been a, an ongoing interactive process about understanding what happens to the human body under stress and what we can do about that. And, uh, and of course, like I said, there, there's so many things that we can teach and, and apply. It's in my book uh, uh, on combat. And the medical community has just embraced on combat. And the, it was Amazon's number one bestseller in several several medical categories this year because in, I was on a medical podcast and for all of England's ER docs. And the guy said, basically, if it works in, in, in combat, it works in the ER, you know, stress is stress. 
And so that, that whole dynamic applies across the board. And that's a, it's a kind of a long-winded answer to the, this process, which I'm still in the middle of. Uh, uh, like I said, 65 years old. Um, I pray that I can still be out on the road 200 days a year uh, doing what I do. Yeah, that's, it's, it's, been a, it's been a great ride. And, uh, and uh, my most recent book is, uh, is on spiritual combat. We got on killing. We got on combat, on spiritual combat. And in a way, that spiritual dynamic is part of it, but it all comes back to, to love, you know, and, and, and you have to be kind to yourself first. You, you have to take care of yourself first. You know, you can, self-love can go too far. And it's our love for others, which is why we're willing to sacrifice. Why, why will somebody die for strangers? How do you get EMS, fire, police? How do you get somebody to die, to go into a building and die for people that don't even know? Now, there's only one force on the planet. Uh, Mama Critter will die to save her babies. Uh, soldiers in combat will die to save their, their fellow soldiers. And, and, and it all comes back to love and that desire to protect. And, uh, and, and uh, that's, that's been the, the great epic cycle of my life now for 24 years since I've retired out here doing this. It comes back to protecting, to loving, to preserving uh, uh, and, uh, and dedicating yourself. Nobody, nobody does what you do. Nobody becomes a first responder because their goal in life gets stinking filthy rich. You know, you know, when you chose this profession, you chose a life of sacrifice. You're never going to be a famous celebrity, at least not in a good way. So you got to believe that your sacrifice is for a noble and worthy purpose. And that's one of the things I emphasize a lot with the class and the dynamics into your your audience, you know, not, you know, if, if you're out there following the path to glory, good for you. If you're out there following the path to money, good for you, you know. But most of you are, are in a profession where you, you're never going to get rich and you're never going to get famous. Well, why are you doing that? I, I do it because I love my family. I love my children. I love my grandchildren. I love my nation. I love my God. And I want to make the world a better place. I want to take the time and skills I've been given to try to make the world a better place. And I think most people in this service field are, are the same way. And our roots all lie back to, to self-sacrifice and love and, and that determination to try to make the world a better, safer place and for your children, for your grandchildren, for your future, for your nation. And it all comes back around to, to protecting and, and to, to loving. And we, we fight and we die for that which we love. There's no other force on the planet. You can't order someone to die. What do you do? Tell me if I don't do it. You know, there's no other force on the planet that can sincerely motivate people to put their life on the line. Uh, is love. Truly, truly an incredible insight and perspective that we have within law enforcement, understanding that love needs to come first. You need to love who you are. You need to take that time for your well-being and understand that, yes, if you are in the career of law enforcement or if you are in the career of emergency services, you're sometimes not going to be the hero, if that makes sense, right? A lot of people look at it as, you know, you're in that situation, you're in high stressful events, you're dealing with things that people don't want to deal with on a daily basis and why and it all leads back to loving who you are and having that care for other people right Right. and And being ready for combat yeah and Mm -hmm. and a good example is uh uh, you may have heard it before but you're in an aircraft with a small child auction mask comes down what do you do before you put the child's mask on you put put it on on your own first. first yeah yeah before you can help anybody else survive 
you have to survive yourself. You can't help anybody else if, if, if you're not surviving. And so you've got to live it. You've got to be a model of thriving. You've got to be a model of perseverance and thriving and wellness. And, uh, you know, you're, you're like this guru that people are going to turn to. And you've got to follow your own precepts. You've got to, you've got to be a, a, a living model of, of, of what you, you've got to practice what you preach along lines of wellness. And, uh, you know, our body catches up on us. The weight catches up. There's things that we can't control. We do our best, but, but we're constantly striving to take care of ourselves so that we can take care of others. And if you can't take care of yourself, then, you know, you, you know then your, your, your mission it fails. You know? and so love begins with yourself. Uh, uh, kindness begins with yourself. And, and knowing that, that this is the instrument, this is the tool, everything, everything else is just a tool. I am the weapon. You know what I said? Uh, yeah. Uh, and, and so that, 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 this is the weapon, the tool, the instrument that you're using in your pursuit, and you've got to care for it to the best of your ability. Yeah, it's a very powerful tool that you just said where it can really change your life and create a huge impact for you to become a better leader for yourself, right? And to really try to make the better decisions within your lifestyle. Because like you said, everybody has that decision to be better every day. And it's yeah. our choice to love and to not love, right? Yeah. Um, when you are a first responder, what are some tips that you could give to them about combat psychology, ways on how to handle their tunnel vision, ways on how to handle these stressful situations? Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that I teach is that tactical breathing. And I've got hundreds of case studies. They've been sent by email. They've been sent by letter. And they're organized by topic. And of all the topics, the biggest folder by far is the breathing exercise. People using it in all kinds of you know, situations. And, uh, and, and again, let's make sure we leave plenty of time to cover sleep because it's worthy of another presentation all by itself. But w w let's talk about the breathing. And uh, uh, sympathetic nervous system is the fight or flight response. And then parasympathetic backlash. When the danger is gone, you backlash in the opposite direction. So, you know, sympathetic is fight or flight. And then the backlash is rest and digest, sometimes called uh, a feed and breed. So you got what we call the four Fs, fight or flight, feed and breed, right? The four Fs, right? So when there's this, you're in this life and death event, and then there's a backlash, and you're in the feed and breed mode. A lot of people gorge themselves. There's nothing wrong with that. And a lot of people, and it happens to it happens to uh, victims of violent crime. It happens to fire EMS. They go home and they have really intense sex, and and it's just like grasping for life in the face of death. Is the and both both partners are very invested in some very intense sex, and, and it's a biological backlash. But it's also a beautiful grasping for life in the face of death. But but it scares people. You know, they're a victim of violent crime. And, you know, I, I just did a, a, a podcast a while back for all of the U.S. Army's uh, sexual assault and harassment investigators and counselors. And I said, this is a normal biological backlash. Some people might paint it as promiscuity. Uh, you need to be able to discern whether or not it is. And you need to, to understand the degree to which these are normal biological responses. And so when these things happen to crime victims or others, it scares us. But the real danger is when we begin to relive the event. You talk about it, you think about it, and you're in that sympathetic nervous system arousal again. And, and that is not PTSD, it's normal. It becomes PTSD 
when you try to not think about it. You will literally drive yourself crazy. You will literally drive yourself crazy down the path of PTSD trying to not think about it. You got to separate the memory from the emotions. So one of the tools we use is a breathing exercise, and I'll, I'll teach you that in just a minute. But we found a, a shortcut. We found a powerful shortcut to pull people from sympathetic to parasympathetic, and that's taking a big drink of water. <sighs> taking a big drink of water is a natural way to breathe. And we'll talk later about breathing properly. Taking a big drink of water also sends a powerful message that says we're safe. But they'll be, think of a deer being chased by a wolf, right? He, he's, can you stop and get a drink? He's really thirsty. I can't get a drink. I'm being chased by a wolf. The fact that you stop and take that big swig of water sends a powerful biological message that says we're safe, right? So the, the, the process of, of, of debriefing and the process of healing is having them talk about the incident and not having that sympathetic nervous system come along for the ride. And what we would typically do is when people start to become emotional, they stop and breathe to regain control. Today, we put a bottle of water in front of them. A friend of mine is one of our nation's leading therapists for federal agents. And she started using it. She'd debrief them and she'd put that bottle of water in front of them. Every time they start to become emotional, she'd make them stop, take a swig of water. And she told me, she said, uh, she said, she said, six years of college, 14 years of practice. And that stupid bottle of water is doing more good than anything I've ever done. And, and, uh, and I teach at CISM, Critical Incident Stress Management. I'm one of their trainers at their conference almost every year. And we have the debriefing. We all know about the idea of a debriefing. Everybody sits around the table. Everybody that's involved, think about the dispatcher. Think about the crime scene folks. But everybody you can bring on board sits around the table and talks about what happened. Now, in the military, we all understand the after-action review, the hot wash, and the learning that comes from it. But also during the debriefing, we fill in the memory gaps and sort out the memory distortions, and we separate the memory from the emotion because everybody sits there with a bottle of water in front of them. As they talk about what happened, the moment they start to become emotional, they stop and take a swig of water. I tell a cop, let's say you're getting a, a witness statement from a victim of a crime. If that individual becomes emotional while they talk about what happened, A, you don't need all that drama. B, they're moving down the path of mental illness. So put a bottle of water in front of them, just the power of a gift. Crack the seal and put a bottle of water in front of them. And every time that individual starts to become emotional, make them stop, take a big swig of water. A, you're getting the calm, rational statement that you need. B, you send them down the path of mental wellness. So let's take that model just one step further, right? Fight or flight, feed and breed. And the action of taking a big swig of water puts you in that feed and breed, uh, rest and digest mode. So uh, I was training a, a, a major U.S. spec ops unit, and the master sergeant that was my host, his wife was an emergency room psychiatrist. And she told him about something sweeping through the ER around the world. You got a crackhead or a meth head. Somebody's tearing up your emergency room. You know what they do? They grab a bag of M&Ms. They rip it open. They shove a guy's face, which is like some M&Ms. And a very large portion of the time, completely diffused the situation. Now, the spec ops guy told me the story. He said, I, I'm your typical cynical guy. I blew it off. Yeah, right. Touchy-feely, goofy. 
goofy, you know, it's like stuff. Yeah, sure. This kind of guy in America, uh, 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 this this kind of guy that carries off duty, kind of guy we want to. He said two different times, I'm off duty with my wife, that I'm going to draw my gun and fight for our lives. He said both times, my wife reaches in her purse, grabs a bag of M&Ms, rips it open, shoves the guy's face, which likes some M&Ms, and completely defused the situation. He said, I, I'm still kind of a cynical guy. He said, it's one thing when a pretty girl does it, but I've seen it work. So just just take that, just seeing a bag of M&Ms, thinking about eating, as is, is a tool that we can use to calm people down. I, I give you one more example. Now, this is way out there. I'm not holding this up as, as reality, but it's interesting. I, I, I taught all this, you know, and, and I was during a break in a class, and a cop comes up to me, and he brings his partner with him. Because it's such a wild story. He brought his partner to vouch for the story. They got a naked guy in the front yard, screaming and throwing things, in, you know, inarticulate, and parents on the porch, don't shoot our kid, don't shoot our kid. Now, naked guys usually mean something's wrong. And usually what you're looking at is what we call excited delirium. Their body goes into overdrive. They're capable of great feats of strength. They are not rational. And they're hot. They're running a fever. The reason why they're naked is they took their clothes off because they're hot. And, and and I think it's the state the berserkers used to get into. We talk about the berserkers. They get naked. They're, and you're burning. You've got, you've got a biochemical fuel to the body that you otherwise would never access. And, and I tell people that if, if you have a naked guy die on you, you have somebody take a temperature. Have the, the, have the you know have the, the EMS guys take a temperature. If that guy's running a temperature, something happened, and you didn't do it. That's excited delirium. Now, was this excited delirium? We don't know, right? Naked guy in the yard screaming and throwing things, and and cops said uh, me and my partner looked at it, it's like what what the hell are we supposed to do? And he said, I happen to have a Snickers bar in my hand. I thought, what the hell? I said, hey buddy, you want a Snickers bar? Huh? You want a Snickers bar? Huh? Well, would you like a Snickers bar? Yeah. Oh, following up room, I'll give it to you. Follow me up to your room, and I'll give it to you. Let my room get... Was it a good sign of delirium? Would it work again? We don't know. But it represents that whole dynamic of pulling people from fight or flight to rest and digest. And, and, and in, the, in the heat of battle, tunnel vision, auditory exclusion, slow motion time, uh, scanning breaks tunnel vision. And you want to do that, but we've got to train for that. Uh, what we want to do is is reduce that huge roller coaster ramp up, and the way we do that is stress inoculation and confidence and 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 state of the art training, and you know EMS state of the art training means you know you you you've got uh, you know live tissue training you 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 know you might have a pig or a goat that you're doing an operation on. Uh, a lot of times people will will have stress inoculation. They have loud noises, they have flickering lights. One thing that they often overlook, one of the most important in any stress inoculation, is smells. Smells are very primal and impactful sense. And anybody who's been around dead and dying or, or terribly injured, uh, very, very much, people crap themselves. It's very common. They're devastated by it. It's your body's natural response. Tell somebody, that's your body's natural response. It happens all the time. Don't worry about it. You, you can literally save somebody from a lifetime of shame and despair by telling them that's your body's natural response. But but the smell of death, there's blood, but there's also crap and there's piss. You know, have somebody take a dump in a bucket. 
And, and, and that's your source of that smell. It smells very primal, you know, and, and the smell of urine and, and then, you know, maybe, you know, another bucket with some, some cow blood or something in there. Uh, and those smells are so powerful. But when we encounter that impraining, when the real thing happens, then we don't panic. I've been here once before. Training should be a form of stress inoculation. And you try to make it, you try to make it stressful, but never make it so stressful that they fail. You, you can ramp up the stress over time. Start easy. Always try to send a winner off your training site. Don't make it so hard that everybody fails. All you prove is that you're an idiot. Your, your, your success is when everybody can come out the other end of the training. Hey, that didn't work out right. We're going to do that one again. I don't want you to worry about it. But let's do your breathing. Have a swig of water or gain control. Now, the breathing exercise, like I said, you can always have a swig of water. You can always stop and breathe. And of all the things I teach across all the years, it's the one that people have been using the most. Uh, I, a guy sent me an email just a couple of months ago, said, don't, a cop, he said, don't let people tell you that combat breathing doesn't work. You can hear me doing it over the radio. Uh, I, had a, I had a guy send me an email. He said uh, he'd been in my class, and he deployed to Iraq and seen an awful lot of combat, came home. And, and it was not PTSD, but he, he was shaking off some cobwebs. And he was, you know, he, so he and some friends were mountain climbing. And he said, we, we camped overnight on, at, at, the, at the top of this big glacier, going to go for the summit the next day. And, uh, and I woke up in the night, and I was completely disoriented. And I'm wandering around without traction devices on this slippery glacier, completely disoriented. And I heard your voice say, breathe in through the nose, two, three, four, hold, two, three, four, out through the lips, two, three, four, hold, two, three, four. And he said, I, I regained control. And I realized I was literally, I'll show you the email. I was literally one step away from stepping off a cliff. And it saved my life. Now, that's an email. He and his wife had heard the audio book. Now, I do the audios of all my, my books, and they were well-received. They'd heard the audio of my book on combat. He said his wife was in a medical emergency, tube down her throat, gagging and choking, truly a life-and-death situation. And she scrawls on a piece of paper, can't talk, right, tube down her throat, scrawls on a piece of paper, Grossman, breathing. He said, I knew exactly what she meant. I began to coach her. In through the nose, two, three, four, hold, two, three, four. And she regained control and literally saved her life. So with all that said, I'm going to talk you through the breathing, you and your listeners. Uh, it's a powerful tool to reach out and grab conscious control of the unconscious part of your body. You can control your heart rate. You can control your blood pressure if you control your breathing. Now, I want to add that I think the act of counting is part of what makes it work. My dog counts like this. One, two, a whole bunch. That, that's, all <laughs> dog can that's all I can handle. A dog can't count past two. One, two, a bunch. And so the actual act of counting, two, three, four, is taking your intellect, is taking the, the forebrain and reaching down and grabbing control of the midbrain. You're using the force of your intellect to reach out and grab control of your body. You can bring your heart rate down. You can bring your blood pressure down doing this. So a couple of things on the breathing. Number one, mindfulness is good stuff. I'm a big fan of mindfulness. But this is not mindfulness. This is combat breathing. 
keep your eyes open. Now, I, I have a class of 100 people. I'll tell them that. And sure enough, one or two will close their eyes. This is what we call a training scar. They were taught mindfulness. They close their eyes. Don't close your eyes. It's a life and death event. The bad guy's looking. You need to look too, right? Eyes open. Unscrew the natural stress response. A newborn baby's got that response. Head goes down. Hands come up. Pull the head back. Pull the shoulders back. And this might be the most important part of all. Absolutely relax the stomach. We're going to do what's called belly breathing. A friend of mine wrote a book called Breathe, about the science of breathing. And she talks about right up until five years old, kids have always got that adorable little pot belly. Somewhere around five-year-old, we all learn the Superman pose. And that's not right. You know, we, we look at, you know, what we call primitive tribes, standing at the loincloths with their bellies hanging out. <laughs> no, no. No, we're the ones who got it wrong. We didn't even know how to breathe. We were all hold that Superman pose and suck our belly in. Real good, healthy breathing. As you breathe in, the stomach goes out. Just let that Twinkie tumor hang out there. As you breathe out, the stomach comes in. All right, so we're going we're gonna to do three breaths. We're going to do the count. When we breathe in, stomach goes out. Relax that stomach completely. Breathe out, stomach comes in. Are you ready? All right, here we go. Yeah. Three breaths. Eyes open, head back, shoulders back, relax the stomach. In through the nose. Two, three, four. Hold. Two, three, four. Out through the lips. Two, three, four. Hold. Two, three, four. In through the nose. Deep, deep, deep. Hold. Two, three, four. Out through the lips. Deep, deep, deep. Hold. Two, three, four. In through the nose. Two, three, four. Hold. Two, three, four. Out through the lips. Two, three, four. Hold. Two, three, four. Simple exercise. <laughs> revolution. You don't always have a bottle of water. Always. <laughs> you don't always have a bottle of water, but you can always breathe. Now, practice that. You know, for 20 bucks on Amazon, I get a little finger clip. It gives my heart rate. I sit there, watch TV, and hyperventilate. <laughs> Just fast, shallow breath. Run my heart rate way up. Long, slow breaths, bring it down. Run it up, bring it down, right? So a little while back, I had to go in for a colonoscopy. That's why they shove a camera up your ass, yeah? And I'm wired for sound. <laughs> right? I got my heart rate going. I got my blood pressure going. I thought, this is so cool. Run my blood pressure up, brought it down. Run it up, brought it down. My wife is smacking me. Stop that. Stop that. You know, I go to the dentist's office. Little dental assistant, take my blood pressure. Oh, that's kind of high for me. Hold on a second. Relax every muscle. Take one breath. <sighs> Try it now. Whoa. Nobody can consciously control the blood pressure. Anybody. <laughs> can cost you control the blood pressure if you control your breathing. So with, with all that said now, the, the final piece of wellness that I give to every audience is the whole business on sleep. Because, Ryan, yeah. that, that is, we're in the middle, do an online search for global epidemic of sleep deprivation. And it's our intrusive media. It's the addictive video games. It's the binge-watching TV shows. It's the it's Internet never sleeps. You know, we're on Facebook all night long. And it's killing us. It is literally killing us. Uh, and, and it's taken years off our life. And sleep deprivation is a key factor in suicides. 
Sleep deprivation makes you stupid. It impairs your judgment. And the ultimate stupid act is taking your life. You make a bad decision, never get a chance to rethink it. So some of the research tells us a sleep-deprived soldier is up to five times more likely to take their life. Uh, if you do wow. an online search, look for meta-studies on suicide. And probably the single best meta-study on suicide. Or just look at suicide and sleep. It'll come right up. It's not, it said, it, it said not only is sleep deprivation a critical factor in suicide, it is the most remediable factor. It's the one we can do something about immediately. If you've got a suicidal individual or anybody who's, you're worried about, the most important thing you can give them is a warm meal. Uh, you know, take care of the body before you take care of the mind. A warm meal and a good night's sleep in a safe environment. And maybe that means you stand watch over them. Tell them, hey, I got your six. I want you to have sleep. And I'm going to stand here. I'm going to watch your six while you sleep. I'm, I'm on guard duty. I got you covered. Whatever it takes. But just understand that sleep deprivation, suicides have exploded worldwide. Teen suicides, teenagers, 10, 11, 12-year-old, teenage suicide, teenage girls' suicide rate has tripled per capita in America in just last decade. I had a Holy. And, and it's a critical factor in teen suicides. Here's, here's parenting 101 for the 21st century. When you send your kid to bed at night, take their cell phone away from them. No cell phone in the room, no laptop in the room. They have got to go to the room and sleep. So I, I, I was training a bunch of cops, and a, and a cop came up during the break. And this guy was really shook up. You know, his face was welled up. And, and you know, I thought, something's going on here. He said, uh, he said, I, I, uh, my little girl, he said, was an A student. And she said, Dad, it's embarrassing. You don't have to take my cell phone every night. You could trust me. He said, so I trust you. I'm going to keep your cell phone. He said, a little while later, she took her life. He said, my little girl took her life. And we never knew the hell she was living in until we looked at the text messages on her cell phone. Night after night of ceaseless, relentless, vicious bullying. And he can't just ignore this stuff. We're not worried that way. He said it was heartrending to watch her uh, on her cell phone night after night, trying to defend herself all night long, trying to find somebody to stand up for her. He said, I understood my little girl was bullied to death. What I didn't understand until now, she was sleep deprived tormented and bullied to death in front of my eyes, and I let it happen. He said, I can't ignore that text message in the middle of the night. How, how, how could I expect my little girl to? He said, the one thing on earth I could have done for her was take her cell phone every night, let her turn off all the bad stuff in this room. So sleep's a key factor in a worldwide explosion of suicide, the new factor. It's also a new factor in a global explosion of traffic deaths. Now, decade after decade, we brought traffic deaths down airbags, seatbelts, technology, medical technology. And now everywhere, traffic deaths are back up. What is the new factor? Sleep deprivation. It, 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 you know, I, I, I had three teenage boys. Now I got teenage grandsons. And, and, uh, and I knew a major killer of kids was traffic deaths. I, I made sure they all had airbags and two out of three tested those airbags, you know, and I made sure this seat that was buckled. Nobody ever told me the most important thing is to make sure they get a good night's sleep 
before they get behind the wheel of a vehicle. There's a reason why airline pilots and truck drivers are required to log enough sleep. Now, the third major cause of death that's exploded is opiate overdoses. Why opiates? You know, prescription opiates have always been there. Well, sleep deprivation creates chronic pain. The tendons and muscles never get a chance to fully relax. Doc, I heard all the time, give me a pill of fix. You don't need a pill. You need more sleep. And you need to knock off the caffeine shortly after lunch. Because that caffeine is stopping you from getting deep cycle sleep. And those tendons and muscles never chance to fully relax. You got a, a worldwide epidemic of caffeine abuse, mega doses of caffeine combined with sleep deprivation. And, and we'd never get full, rich, deep, restorative sleep. And one of the things that happens in deep, restorative sleep is the tendons and muscles fully relax. So sleep deprivation and, and bad quality sleep and, that, and caffeine is the, the worst thing there is causing this chronic pain. And, and people are turning to opiates, right? Well, why opiates? For pain. A, a global epidemic of sleep deprivation is the new factor. All the old problems are still there, but it's a new factor behind behind an explosion of suicides. Every category, every group, it, it, except for those who have a job that demands sleep management. Like in the Army, pilots have virtually no suicides. Truck drivers have very low suicides because they've mandated sleep. But the people who don't have mandated sleep, we can see a direct relationship between their sleep discipline and their suicides. Suicides, traffic deaths, and, of course, the opiate epidemic. But uh, the head of Netflix, you can look this up, the head of Netflix said their number one competitor was not other online providers. Their number one competitor was sleep. The corporate policy of Netflix is to steal your sleep. They don't care that it's killing you. They don't care that it's destroying your marriage because it destroys your judgment. You say things and do things you regret for the rest of your life. They don't care. It's taken years off your life. They just want to sell their product. And so the video game industry, the, the online industry, the, all of these people who, who want you to, to absorb that the video game industry will never say, you've been playing this game for 24 hours. You need to turn it off. Then Facebook will never say, you've been online for 24 hours. Dude, it's time for you to turn it off. They'll never tell you that. Netflix will never say, man, you've been binge-watching shows all night long for the last three nights. You need to get some sleep. They will never tell you that. They want to sell their product. And so we've got this, this worldwide dynamic and this global epidemic, and, and people don't even want to go there. They don't want to look at that because it points a finger back at them. The media, the, the video game industry, the, you know, the social media, the, the Internet – Again, we have to exercise discipline. We have to sustain ourselves for the long game. And, and short and sweet, when it comes to sleep, a couple of things. Uh, there, there's great value in white noise, and there's a great app called White Noise Generator. Uh, and there's great value in a totally dark room. Combine sleep with a sleep mask. Make the room as dark as you can. For all you first responders out there doing ship work, uh, you've got to be in a totally dark room. And unless you spray paint the windows from the inside, the only way to make that room totally dark is to wear a good mask, a sleep mask. My grandson went off to college. He's heard my class many times. My gift to him on the way to college was two different kinds of sleep masks. You know, see which one works for you. They're the two best rated ones on Amazon. Uh, see which one works for you. Promise me you'll use it every night. But no problem. Yes, sir. You know, he comes home. Hey, have you been sleeping? Yes, sir. Hey, are you using your mask? Yes, sir. 
I mean, if I want to, if I love that kid, I want to keep him alive. The major things most likely to kill him, the three things most likely to kill him, suicide, traffic deaths, and opiate overdoses. And the major thing I can do for his wellness is make sure he's getting sleep and he's getting quality sleep. Uh, you know, little nuts and bolts that I give people, you know, uh, the snooze alarm is a waste of time. The snooze alarm is a needle little button that makes you relive the worst part of every day over and over again. Don't touch the snooze alarm. Uh, set the alarm for, for 10 alarms, 6 o'clock, 6 o'clock, 6 o'clock. By the time you turn them off, you're up. A snooze alarm is doing physical harm to your body. Uh, you know, sleep in a totally dark room. Uh, don't Don't have more than one drink on the way to bed. Don't use alcohol to put yourself to sleep. Uh, there's nothing wrong with a nightcap. I, I'm a huge fan of the fitness trackers. And uh, there was an online study on the ability of the various fitness trackers to actually track your sleep. And one of the top ones was the ring called the Aura. Aura. But the other top one was the, was the Fitbit. And it's actually tracking your hours of sleep. And it will tell you, dude, you're an adult. You need at least seven hours of sleep a night. You've been getting by on four hours sleep for the last month. You can't keep doing this. It will tell you. Wear the fitness tracker. Download the app. It'll track your heart rate throughout the day, and that's useful data. It'll track your steps and your calories, but it will track your sleep. And it will tell you. And track your sleep across time. As an adult, you need at least seven hours of sleep. You've got to make it happen. You've got to pace yourself for the long game. But but go back to alcohol. Do an experiment. Wear your fitness tracker. Track your sleep. Pound down four beers and go to bed. See what it does to your sleep. You will fall quickly into a shallow sleep. You'll wake up in a couple hours and can't get back to sleep. That's what alcohol is doing here. If you need help, we all need some help sometimes. The doc's got things that can help. But don't use alcohol to put yourself to sleep. No more than one drink on the way to bed. It's terribly, terribly counterproductive for many reasons. Uh, you know, don't wake up the night and have a smoke. It's one time to show some discipline. And, uh, and, and use caffeine responsibly. They cut off caffeine shortly after lunch. Coffee and tea appear to be very good for us. I think coffee and tea are so good for us because the other stuff is so bad. Sodas, diet sodas, and the energy drinks are condensed poison. Those energy drinks are poison. Uh, the United States Armed Forces has been at war for 20 years. We're still in Iraq on our 21st year of war. For the first 15 years, the U.S. Army passed out energy drinks like water. They gave them us, we gave them the troops. Aren't we nice guys? And then five years ago, two major Department of Defense-wide studies on the energy drinks. Today, for all practical purpose, there is a complete ban on issuing energy drinks to our troops. All, uh, for, in an in a academic environment, the one taking the most energy drinks were the ones with the worst grades. In a tactical environment, the one pounding down the most energy drinks were the ones most likely not off on the job. All there is in that energy drink is a mega dose of caffeine and some stuff to make you metabolize it quickly. It will give you a one-hour burst of physical ability, then you crash. Before an athletic event, one energy drink, not a bad idea, but then you're going to crash. Before a PT test, one energy drink, not a bad idea, but then you crash. The second one feels good for five minutes, but all you're doing is building up your tolerance to caffeine and putting mega dose of caffeine in your body. No more than one energy drink. It'll keep you going for an hour, and then you will crash. Use caffeine responsibly. Coffee and tea, uh, about one or two cups of coffee and tea at breakfast, one or two at lunch, then switch to decaf, have all you want, uh, and, and then it's there for you when you need it. You're changing shifts. You have extended operations. It's there for you when you need it. 
So that sleep dynamic, this, this global epidemic of sleep deprivation, suicides, traffic deaths, drug overdoses, just do online searches for all those and you'll see them. And why, why is this not being screened from the mountainside? Why isn't the video game industry? Why isn't, you know, Netflix? Why, why, why isn't Facebook telling you this? Because they want to sell their product. But my dad started smoking in 1940 when he was five years old. Plumped a nickel on the counter, bought his first pack. Of, hey, you know, candy, we all know that. Candy rots your teeth. Cigarettes are good for you. They believe that. Because the industry lied. You know, cigarettes are good for you. It's his money. He wants to buy cigarettes better than candy. We all know candy rots your teeth. And 55 years later, those cigarettes finally killed my dad. But all they wanted to do was sell their product. They didn't care they were selling it to five-year-olds. They thought that the whole fight with tobacco was to stop selling this stuff to children. And they fought tooth and nail, decade after decade, over one thing, keep selling their substance to children. And, and to deny any responsibility for the harm that it might cause. That's where we are today with all those global industries and the predatory practices selling this stuff to us. You know, I got a lot of people out that don't like me much, the, uh, the Antifa, defund the police people. We just got a whole bunch more hate mail from them recently. We got, uh, we got the video game industry don't like me much. But, uh, but the kids out there on the front lines putting their life on the line for us every day. We're able to give them some information that can be of value. Because we love yeah, them. it's super touching where you're able to actually tell us the actual critical issues that first responders deal with and people within the emergency services, right? And yeah. having an understanding that sleep is essential when you're in this industry, when you're in that environment, right? And the thing that you kind of really touched on the most about sleep and op opioid overdose, do you feel that the police services and law enforcement agencies, the reason why you see these suicides going up could be a result of this, Absolutely. right? Do you think and that this, it could you know, relate to the sleep, relate yeah, to the bad yeah, diet, yeah. bad lifestyle? Ask yourself, what is the new factor? You know, my dad was a cop and he did a lot of overtime, a lot of extra hours. You know, the cops always work themselves into the dirt. Mm -hmm. uh, EMS, you know, but, but what's the new factor? Long hours, we need to get that under control. We need to mandate that. But what is the new factor? It was never there before. And it, instead of going home and sleeping, we're going home and playing video games. Or we're going home and binge-watching shows. So we're, we're, we're going home and, and we're on, on the Internet all night long, uh, you know, on social media. You, you can't keep doing that. You know, again, long hours and, and, and stress is not new. What is new is that we're not sleeping when we get the chance. And, and then, you know, we, we haven't even begun to talk about the murder rate that's being held down by medical technology. People who try to explain the problem in terms of the number of murdered people are misrepresenting the situation. It's kind of like talking about minimum wage without allowing for inflation. Anytime people don't, oh, well, you know, we had more dead people a decade ago. Well, look at medical technology saving lives. You know, it's more complex than that. So things are bad today. Things are scary bad. Violence is up to levels we've never seen before. These are traumatic times, and the people who are in the front lines, they need the best we got to give them. And remember, before you put your child's mask on, you put your mask on first. Before you help anybody else survive, you've got to survive yourself. And, and as we love our families, we love our way of life, as we, as we love all those people that are in our hands, in our lives are in our hands every day, and we've got to give 100%. And that means taking the time to take care of yourself.
If you're if you're playing those addictive games, if you're binge watching those shows, if you're on social media all night, time out. What's really important? Is your job important? Your health important? Your family important? Or is that game important? Decide now. If that game's what's really important, is cool. Quit your job, move near your parents' basement, draw unemployment, buy a giant economy-sized bag of Cheetos, play games all night long. Millions of people are doing that. But you want to have a life. You have to uphold your oath as a peace officer, as a first responder. You want to uphold your responsibility to your family. You got to get those games under control. Whatever it is that's stopping you from getting sleep, you got to get it under control. People look at me like a deer in the headlights. So, ooh, dude, you're talking straight to me. It's cool. Nobody ever told you that, but now you know. And you got to get it under control. And, uh, you know, Ryan, uh, I've got a pretty good social media following. When this is available, uh, I'll, I'll put it on my social media because I think this is the best one-hour condensation of my stuff I've ever done. Uh, and, and I thank you for giving us the opportunity to get the word out and, and maybe help save some lives and, and help people through these tragic, violent, scary times. No, and everything that you've been telling me and sharing and – it's really enlightening to know that there is alternative health methods for people to be successful within the job itself. And you're giving tips as to what is essential, right? We're in a, we're in a pandemic where it's a mental health pandemic where, you know, people are losing lives. People are not having the essential services that they need to be successful. And me, myself, like learning all of this is actually helping me, right? Because, you know, it's changing a lot of my habits as an individual, but also as an officer, right? And I think that with your advice and what you're sharing is essential for first responders. I think it's essential for those that are risking their lives every day and putting their self first before someone else. And I couldn't say any more, like it was a pleasure having the opportunity to really speak to you and really be real about the whole situation and understanding that, yes, you know, social media is a problem. YouTube is a problem. Netflix is a problem. And we need to understand that it is the new smoking. It is yeah. the new yeah. way of damaging your body. Yeah. If you can go back and give your 18-year-old self the piece of advice, what would it be? And it would probably be sleep, most likely, yeah. right? And I think that someone needs to understand that and everybody needs to understand that if you need to be in this career, you need to love yourself and take that time for you. And I hope that our listeners can really hear this. And it's really special to be able to gain insight from you and the expertise and sharing true stories about your life. And it's really touching. And I thank you so much for taking you, your time to speak with me. It, it, it's incredible. It really is special. Good luck and, and keep up the great work, Ryan. You got to believe you're touching lives, saving lives every day. And all you folks that listen to this podcast again, uh, we give you our uh, our respect, our honor and glory because you're out there doing the job every day and trying to improve yourself. And you're not satisfied with a five minute cast soundbite on TV. You're seeking deeper levels of knowledge, and that's a beautiful thing. So, both of us uh, salute you and, uh, and Ryan. Thanks a lot. Stay hard, stay safe, and believe in who you are, and believe in what you do. Thank you very much.